All right, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Praise God, I was mentioning Sunday that Wednesday my Bible study is kind of like a, a you know, your, your pit stop through the week. You know, you get together with brothers and sisters, you get spiritually fired up by encouraging one another, by getting the word together, amen, seek the Lord in prayer, and it's... Uh, it should lift up our hearts before him, amen, as we seek him. So when you get to 1 Peter 3.15, I want you to go ahead and remember the context in verses 13. Now, we went through 1 Peter verse by verse, but I didn't spend a whole lot of time on every verse. Uh, so we've spent a lot more time on verse 15 during this study than we did in, when I went through it, the entire book. In this, But this will be the last week on the study but I want you to back up again and remember the context in verse 13. Who is there to harm you, 1 Peter 3, 13, if you prove zealous for what is good? So he's encouraging us to prove zealous for what's good. And when he says, you know, who is there to harm you? He's saying that because they're living in a time of persecution where there is great harm that could be done physically. But his emphasis is on the spiritual life and that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you recognize that your life is temporal that the material world is temporal, that we don't live very long, our lives are vapors, and we must honor God with them, we must trust him with, uh, as the, basically the overseer of our soul. In fact, late, earlier, a few verses before this, at the end of chapter 2, he talked about how Jesus committed himself uh, scripturally. We read uh, in that passage, verse 25, for you were continually strained like sheep, and now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls, that he is the guardian of our souls. And then in verse 23, at the end of that verse, it speaks of Jesus. When he was reviled, he didn't revile back, but he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So Jesus was able, during his time of crucifixion, able to entrust himself to the Father. And he's the guardian of our souls, and we're supposed to entrust ourselves to the Father, recognizing no matter what we go through, now, his death was redemptive, amen, we're saved through his death, but also knowing that in our deaths or what persecution we face, we need to keep in mind that there can be no spiritual harm that's done if we remain, remain faithful to the Lord. In fact, it's just the opposite. If we're faithful to Christ during times of persecution, even if it means our death, there's no spiritual harm that's done, but there's amazing spiritual growth, there's amazing spiritual reward in, in the heavenly kingdom and so forth. Jesus said when they persecute you, Rejoice because they, and if they don't persecute you and they say a bunch of good things about you, you said, woe to you because that's what they did with the false prophets. But the Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus will indeed uh, suffer persecution. I add the word indeed there, okay? But what translation is that? But we'll suffer persecution. We're going to go through persecution. So he wants us to understand that we want to be zealous for what's good. And right now it's hard in this country through the years to go through a letter like 1 Peter, uh, maybe certain parts of Hebrews, uh, many parts of the book of Acts, and er various parts of Scripture, and relate to the persecution because the United States of America, like Australia, like New Zealand in the past, are anomalies. They're, they're countries where they haven't faced a lot of persecution because of their faith. Okay, so people read through books like these and when they read about trials and being strong in your trials and, and trusting yourself to the Lord, they don't necessarily get the full impact. Now, it still means something to us because we will go through persecution. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it means a lot to us. And we could even face death. I know a brother that I'd fellowship before named Wally Tope. He was passing out tracts in LA during the riots as people were coming out of, I'm talking about years and years ago, not these recent riots, 
years ago, passing out tracks. And as he's passing them out, he got knocked down and they kicked him into a coma. And then he died after spending some time at the hospital. Uh, we, know, uh, other, we know the you know, Columbine killers. They were specifically going after Christians. We've shown on video where they've gone after people with what do you, what is, you know, what would Jesus do bracelets on? Even though the news tried to downplay that. And most people didn't even hear about that, you know? Uh, so yeah, Christians can be targets here as well, but it's going to get a lot worse. We are headed toward totalitarianism. I mean, just look, just look at what's going on politically, you know? Uh, our, our country is going... Uh, you know, more and more socialist. There's people standing in the way trying to stop it from happening and so forth, but uh, you just look at what's going on politically and they want more and more control, you know? You know, in Eastern Germany, one out of every three people is basically a government spy. <laughs> and that means if you had a family of, a big family of nine, on average, three of those would be spies reporting on their neighbors and so forth, you know? Now it's just interesting. They're going door to door to have you taken the vaccination. And it's just, it's, it's getting crazier and crazier as far as the, the government kind of just closing in. Uh, and, and I'm not saying, you know, the end is tomorrow, but I'm just saying because the Antichrist is still to be revealed, but we're headed toward a system that is going to be very hard for Christians to exist in. Eventually, you'll have to take the mark of the beast, either the name of the beast or the number of his name on your right hand or forehead to buy or sell. We're headed in that direction eventually. Uh, we don't know exactly when it will be take place, but guess what? Persecution can happen anytime. This is 2,000 years before today almost, right? And they're being persecuted radically. And a lot of Christians are persecuted over, over and over again all over the world uh, in our day, but not so much in this country yet, but it is going to get hotter. It will get worse, and we know that. So these types of scriptures are important to keep in mind and hide in your heart. I mentioned often Corey Ten Boom, who went to a concentration camp because her family were Christians and they were hiding Jews. And they went because they acted on their faith against, from the Nazis. And her, you know, her sister died in the prison and so forth. And uh, she said she would hide certain scriptures in her heart after that to prepare for anything else that might come along those lines and to make sure she was prepared to go through the tribulation period, that her heart was belonged to the Lord and that her heart was filled with scripture. And it's just such a beautiful reality. And she gave her testimony for many years prior to his, her death after she was released from that concentration camp. And uh, we live in a time where the United States of America is a lot different than when she was going around giving her testimony, you know, um, and we can praise God that we can meet freely right now, amen? And we've still got a couple, you know, some amendments that are very, very helpful to that end. But, you know, we're hearing all kinds of strange things about what some people would like to do, you know? And we know where a lot of it's headed. So you have to put your trust in the Lord. And so he says, he says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And I love that you are blessed. If, you're, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. In fact, in chapter 4, he'll say that the spirit of Christ, when you're being persecuted, the spirit of grace will rest upon you. Isn't that awesome to know? That when you go through heavy persecution, God's grace will rest upon you and give you strength. That's the person of God. That's the third person to try you. Godhead resting upon you. The one who uh, 
God spoke forth and his spirit created us, it says, you know. Uh, you know, it's just amazing. The Holy Spirit's our comforter. And then we read, uh, he says right after that, and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. He tells us not to fear. And then he says what? But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And the very first study we had in this three-part series, and we're over with this tonight. Remember, we went to Isaiah. Remember that? And he says not to fear them. And everybody's saying, conspiracy, conspiracy. Don't freak out over what's going on. He says, let the Lord be your dread. He didn't say be ignorant about what's going on. They were where the Syrians were coming. But he says, don't freak out over it. Let the Lord be your dread. So no fear them. Let the Lord be your dread. Amen. And regard him as holy. And I pointed out to you that the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament that Jesus and the apostles often quoted, this is actually, Peter's actually quoting from and alluding to that passage in Isaiah when there's going to be heavy persecution and Israel deserves it. They're going to go into Syria as, you know, be dis, you know, dispersed and, and be taken out of land because of their sin. But God's going to use that to wake, wake them up. Well, I believe God is going to let, the Bible says judgment begins in 1 Peter chapter 4, a little bit later, that judgment begins in the house of God. Amen? Amen. And it says if the righteous are scarcely saved, huh, you, know, where, how, you know, where will the wicked stand, right? They're in huge trouble. So judgment starts at the house of God, and I believe heavy things are going to happen. And the Bible says that the Antichrist, it says in Revelation 13, 5 through 7, that, you know, he'll rule all nations people in tongues they'll worship him and then it says he'll overcome the saints and that'll be a time of testing it won't be a time of God's wrath upon us but we're not appointed to wrath the Bible says amen we're not appointed to God's wrath he's not out to, to to destroy us but he is he does test us right but if we keep his word amen and the word of his perseverance will pass with flying colors and we'll we'll, we'll uh, escape that time of trial with our souls amen We'll get through it. So it's important to understand that what Peter's context is, and he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And by the way, when you go to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, sanctify Yahweh, or regard him as holy, amen? Jesus is Yahweh. We talked about that. I just think it's a great verse because people don't typically think of this verse as referring to the deity of Christ. In fact, this is, a, this is great if you share it with Jehovah's Witness. Do you know he's quoting from the Old Testament saying Jesus is Yahweh basically right here? And he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So we're supposed to always be ready. And again, this is not written to pastors. It's not written to elders. It's written to all believers. All of you, all of each and every one of us is supposed to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. Are you ready? If someone was to talk to you tonight, you know, you get out of your car and someone's walking by and they say, hey, you know, I heard you're a Christian. You know, why do you have this hope? You know, what's, you know, are you ready to give an answer? You know, what's, what's your hope all about? You know, why do you have, you know, why do you have faith? You know, why do you, why do you, where are you at? You know, are you ready to give an answer? And we're supposed to be ready, always ready. Amen. So we talked about this to some lengths, you know, so I'm not going to go over everything I've gone over, but he says to do it with what? The end of the verse. With gentleness and what? And reverence. Remember, sec, remember uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 at the end where it says that the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, amen, but he must be gentle, right? And he's supposed to extricate that he might, you know, that God might, he wants to use us to lead people to repentance. 
And who knows, he might, you might be in a situation where, yeah, he could use you because you're dealing with, and there he's talking about false teachers. And I don't want to belabor that point today because we talked about this last week, but keep in mind, we are not witnessing or our goal is not to win arguments against people as much as to win souls, amen? That doesn't mean that we do not debate truth. Oh yeah, the enemy can't win against the truth. You know that, right? Why do you think free speech, you know? Why do you think the left is so against free speech? So many of them. No kidding, they want to shut it down. They don't want a fear fight because they can't hang with the truth. I mean, there's so much evidence in regard to the truth. And we're supposed to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. False arguments. We need to do that as believers. You know, so we are supposed to be involved in contending for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith, it says. Once for all, deliver to the saints. Jude 1.3. Amen. And there will be some debate. And, but the point is, is your, your objective is not to necessarily win a bunch of arguments. Your objective is to win them to Christ. And therefore, you want to make sure you do give arguments that are good and strong. Amen? And you just, the word of God, man, you can't go wrong by quoting the scripture because it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen? But it's interesting, though, because he wants you, though, he wants you, though, and this is what people miss. And this is what I've tried to emphasize is when people, when those who are in apologetics, standing for the faith, giving reasons to believe, coming against lies, coming against the isms, and all those things, look at this verse. So many of them make two huge mistakes. They think, the, they jump off that verse in a launching pad of just thinking they have to disprove everything and anything. And, that's, and you want to disprove all the isms that are out there that you have to face? Praise God for that. We agree with that. We are all about that as well. But they miss the context is you're supposed to be answer, given an answer for the reason for the what? The hope that's in you. The emphasis is to point to who? Jesus, amen? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw what? All men to myself, amen? He's been lifted up on the cross. And on the cross, he drew, right? The thief next to him came to him, right? The centurion or the, the Roman soldier. Truly, this was the son of God, Amen? And the Holy Spirit was already working. And now we point to Jesus and his work on the cross and who he is. When we share the word of God, if you spend two hours talking about Darwinism and how wrong it is, and praise the Lord, definitely come against Darwinism if you've got somebody who believes that everything just came out of nothing, right? And intelligence just continued to get more intelligent, you know? And people began, and, and little bugs and stuff, and began to sprout wings when there's, their DNA didn't say so. There's no new information going in the DNA, but um, see, now here I go. Yeah, and, and it's important to do that. It's important to talk to them, but guess what? You, if you talk for an hour and a half about Darwinism and you never get to Jesus, that's not, that's not, that's not it, man. You know, I'm, you know, if you're saying, well, I'm talking about Darwinism, but then we're going to get it next week and I'm going to share the gospel, then that's fine. But I'm just saying, if the main thing is, is just trouncing false beliefs, but you don't get to Jesus, you're only doing part of the job. Amen. So we want to make sure we focus on our hope when we witness. I mean, hundreds of millions of people, hundreds and hundreds of millions through the years have professed faith in Christ, amen? All over the world. Do you know the gospel is spreading all over the place right now? South America, Central America, Africa, you know, some of the Asian countries. 
And it's amazing. You know, in Iran, where it's the most oppressed place in the world spiritually, did you understand, do you know that uh, many claim that that's where Christianity is growing the fastest? I was just talking to a brother who's in a, a ministry where they focus on Iran as well as other countries. And he was saying, yeah, we always say the Ayatollah Khomeini. He's the best evangelist in the world right now because he's so... He's, he's just such a tyrant, right? You've got to follow all the, these, these rules, 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 and there's no hope, right? So you have all kinds of Iranians coming to Christ and hearing the gospel. And it's, I've heard it over and over again. I don't know. I'm not on the ground there. But many say it's where Christianity is growing the fastest in Iran right now. Remember Joel Richardson had said that uh, to us as well. And he's been doing some work there in the well in the past. I'm not sure about right now. So when we talk about the hope that's in us, Last, the first time we did it, now we're in part three, the first time I went through 12 different hopes, 12 different aspects of our hope in the Bible, 12. And I specifically set out to find everything that would qualify as part of the hope that we have in Christ. And I, I was amazed because typically when I think of the hope that's in us, I, my brain goes to 1 Peter 1.3 where it mentions specifically the hope of his resurrection. And I think that's awesome. But I thought, you know what? First Peter says a lot about the Lord in our hope, you know? And I just thought it was a blow mine because the more I looked at it, 12 different points basically outlined everything from Jesus' incarnation, becoming a man, you know, to living a perfect life, to his death on the cross, you know, to his resurrection, of course, his ascension, seated at the right hand of the Father in, 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 in glory and head of all principalities and powers and uh, to his second coming and his keeping power. And I thought, wow, man, there's so much of it. This, this book is just jam-packed with this hope. And the more I focused on, on Christ as a hope in this book in First Peter, I saw something anew and I thought, wow, that's really awesome. That's absolutely amazing. And then what I want to do is circle back around since we've gone through all 12 of those different aspects of the hope that we have, all of them beautiful about Christ. I want to say, okay, how does this apply to not just speaking it out to people and say, hey, Jesus lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He rose to the dead. He's coming back, you know. And there's eyewitnesses of his resurrection that gave their lives to testify that he is who he claimed to be and so forth. It goes beyond just preaching because as I go through 1 Peter, it's a book about living the Christian life. It's a book about sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel through your life. They are intermixed in community that is persecuting them because of their faith. And so he wants us to live out these hopes and he wants this truth to become incarnate within us and lived out as reality as it's Christ in us living through us, the hope of glory. So last week I went into gentleness and reverence a bit through the first part of the message Then I got through the first few of those 12 as far as their application to us. Now I want to uh, go through the rest of those points by way of application in regard to the hope that we're to have and, and, and encourage you, let this be life transforming to you where, where it just doesn't just sit in your brain, but it makes that eight inch or so, you know, with Big Jim, that 12 inch journey from the head to the heart, you know? So the first one I mentioned was 1 Peter 1.20, which is the incarnation, amen? You don't have to go there because we talked about that last week, but I talked about how does his incarnation become a witness for us? Well, we tell people, yes, theologically, God became a man. 
to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But how does that fit with regard to our own lifestyle, the incarnation? How can we live it out so other people can see Christ in us? Guess what? That's where Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Or as NIV says, let the same mindset be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, right? It says he was in the very nature of God. Amen? But he didn't consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but he made himself nothing and took upon himself the form of a servant. Amen? And then what did he do? It says he died on the, he died. And it says even the death on the cross, I mean, it wasn't just a death. He humbled himself. Amen? So now we look at what Jesus did, and that's what we share with people, the incarnation, but how does that affect our own lives? We follow his example. We show that that God, that amazing God, could have just remained God, and he did remain God, but he could, as God, he could have remained God being worshipped, but instead he became the God-man, and as both God and man, all the worship he was receiving in heaven, now he's born in a manger. You know, with animals. Not all sweet and beautiful on the Christmas cards. Man, it was stinky and ugly. And it became poor, it says, so that we could become spiritually rich. Amen? Well, you have to show people in your life that that's what you believe and that you're following him and you're following his example. And therefore, guess what? Let the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus be in you, where you're willing to serve them and be humble and be a blessing. Amen? And number two, I want to just camp out there but we've already been through that. Number two, he committed no sin, okay? He committed no sin. And that's in 1 Peter 2, the last few verses of chapter 2. And I've already gone through that. But I'll just say this, as far as it relates to us, we need to also, if Jesus had sinned, we wouldn't be here today. He wouldn't have been the sin offering, amen? But we are a better witness when we Make sure that we are not playing the hypocrite, where people aren't looking at us and saying, that guy claims to be a Christian, man, but he chases women, comes home late, drunk, you know, after he parties with the friends, goes to church on Sunday, and acts like everything's like he loves Jesus, or whatever it is, you know, or that lady at work, man, she's the biggest gossip here, but she says, she, say she says Jesus one moment, but then she's always, no, don't do that stuff, man. Be an example. And it's just important that we do that and that we cease from sin. Look at 1 Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ, 1 Peter 4, 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he's our example, 1 Peter 2. Last few verses there. He's our example. He's left an example. Arm yourself with the same purpose. Do you see how he's saying Christ is our example? The end of 1 Peter 2. Arm yourself with the same purpose here. How we're supposed to follow Jesus' example. What I'm talking about is being an incarnational witness. Letting God's truth not just be in your head, but in your heart where you live it out. Where people see that you, they look at you and they say, man, that person's different. Where it's a life that's been transformed by Christ. And they see the love of Christ. A love for God. You know, Jesus was about his father's business. They see that this person is serious about God. And they see, and Jesus cared about people. He loved them. He ministered to them. And they see that you care for people. You love them and you minister to them. So arm yourself here, he says, with the same purpose because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we're supposed to stop sinning. And I'm not talking about sinless perfection where you never ever blow it again. Oh yeah, if you could do that, great. Nobody's been able to do it because otherwise, good. First John, you know, 1.8 wouldn't be true. Whoever says he's without sin, the liar of truth is in him, isn't in him. But guess what? We should make sure we are not practicing sin. 
We're not living a life of rebellion. We're not doing our own thing anymore. We're doing his thing, amen? We're obeying his word. We're, we're seeking him. We're glorifying him. We're letting people see our lives. And we're doing it first and foremost for him. Don't do it for other people, okay? That should be the effect people seeing your witness, okay? You're doing it first and foremost for him. And of course, yes, you want to be a witness because he talks about how you look to the, making sure how you present yourself to the non-believers. Yes, so you do keep that in mind that you're not a stumbling block and so forth. But if you're first and foremost goal in your life is to love God and put him first in your life and, and seek him with all your heart and cry out to him, it's going to show up. The people are going to say, that person is about the Lord. It says in verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for what? The will of God. Sin should be exception, the exception in our lives, not the practice, not the norm. For the time, he says the time's already passed. It's sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. I mean, in your past life, you've already done enough wicked things in your past with the Gentiles, doing their desires, you know? Having pursued a course of sensuality. How many, would, how many could say, yeah, that was me in the past. I pursued a course of sensuality. I can. Lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. Guess what? People trip out now since you've been saved that, man, you don't do the same things they do. And now when you aren't doing the same things that you used to do, anybody know what your friends treat you like, your old friends that aren't on board? They malign you to one degree or another. Not every one of them, but it's very normal. Because guess what? The Bible says this, the prince of the power of the air Satan works in, as a, the principal, he works in the children of disobedience, okay? They're, they're, they don't know the Lord. They're blind like we were. That's who we were. And it says they're filled with malice and so forth. These are people that aren't regenerate. These are people that aren't saved. These are people that don't know Jesus. And they don't, haven't become a new creation in him. So there's just a flesh. And it's easy for Satan to use them. And they see you get converted and come to Christ. Guess what? that if they're a thinking person, that instantaneously challenges them. Wait, wait, what, what'd he do? Why? Now, guess what? Maybe I should do it too, but if I don't do it, does that mean I'm not following God? Does that mean I'm not right with God? Does that mean I'm a sinner, you know, and so forth? And before you know it, they feel like they feel bad often, especially if you're right with God, you're seeking him, they're convicted. And you pray the Holy Spirit uses them or uses, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you pray the Holy Spirit uses your witness to them and that you could give an answer for the hope that's in you, especially to your friends, family members, you know, give them an answer. Remember Jesus cast the demons out of that demoniac? Legion, man, possessed by all kinds of demons. They went into the pigs, drove the pigs to destruction. Remember he wanted to go with Jesus? What did Jesus say to do first? to be a witness to his family and stuff. Amen? We're supposed to be witnesses. Now, they can mock him all they want, but he's no longer at the tombs, frothing at the mouth, cutting himself and crazy. Now he's normal. How do you argue with that? Some people still will. Remember Jesus healed the blind guy? One of the blind guys he healed? They're upset that he's healed. All I know is I was, come on. He's like, I, I was blind, but now I see. I mean, what can I tell you? You know? And sometimes people get ticked off because it's convicting. And with the religious leaders, it's like, well, that wasn't happening among them. 
And now, woo, look at what happened, man. Powerful stuff. But guess what? It's imperative that we are witnesses and that we don't run with them anymore. Now it says, it says right here, they're surprised that you don't run with them to these drinking parties and stuff anymore. Now, if you're still going to drinking parties with friends and stuff, old friends, are they going to be surprised that you don't? No, because you're still doing it. You're just like them. Well, I don't get drunk. I just drink with them, make them think I get a little buzzed. That's not good, you know? Don't go. If you're going to go, well, I want to be a witness. Well, don't, don't drink. Don't give them the idea that you're, you know, doing what they're doing. Because that's how you stop them in their tracks and you make them think. And yeah, it's tough because sometimes you get persecuted. But the point is it's worth it because guess what? We all have one life to live and you want God, you want to win their soul to Christ, amen? You know, the Bible says the soul winner is wise, amen? And God's the only one that ultimately converts people, but he uses us, amen? We're the fishers of men. So you want to make sure your life is dramatic enough to make people stop and think, amen? Like, whoa, what in the world's going on here? So they can be challenged in the name of Jesus. Are you with me tonight? All right, so number three, he died for our sins, okay? He died for our sins. And man, I'm just reviewing the first three, right? Man, and I got to get through the 12, but, and we will. But I'll just say this, because I got I to speed up through these three. So number three, he died for our sins. Now we can't die for sin, but we can what? We can die to ourselves, amen? amen. We can die to ourselves, and that's what we're called to do. Take up our crosses daily and follow him. It's no longer our will, but his be done. If you're still doing your will, you're not a witness if you're doing your own will. But when you die to your will and you do his will, you prove his perfect will in your life. Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Amen. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice to the Lord. They may prove the perfect will of the Lord. So you prove the perfect will of the Lord in your life. And guess what? When you're in the will of the Lord and you're walking in it, it's a powerful thing. Okay. And that will affect other people. Number four. Now we're not reviewing anymore. Now we're getting into the application of new ones. And, but I have to go kind of quick. Uh, reconciliation. The fourth, so the first part of our hope is that he was incarnated. The second part of the hope is that, praise God, uh, he, there was no sin in his life. He was without sin, 1 Peter 2. The third part is he died for our sins. Amen. He gave himself for us. And the fourth part of our hope is that he reconciled us. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 says he, he, he reconciled us. He, he brought us to God through his death. He brought us to God. Now, what does that mean in our witness? We share with people that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, not Mary, amen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not any religion or any church. It's Jesus is the way, you know. We preach Jesus as the way. He's the way, the truth, and life. Not, no one comes to the Father but through him, amen. So we preach Jesus and we want to be faithful to that message. But guess what? His objective was to bring people to the Father through him. Our objective when we witness is to bring people to the Father through Jesus, Amen. And allowing our lives to be a witness of that. Now, when he was lifted up on the cross and crucified, something really heavy happened there. Because there were all kinds of different self-disclosures of God through the revelation of himself uh, throughout Scripture. There's what we call theophanies, okay? From, it's a compound Greek word from the th- Greek word theophania. And theos is the first word, which is God, Right? And then the next word, it refers to uh, appearing, you know. So it's God appearing. Theophanies is the appearance of God. It's all kinds of interesting, fascinating theophanies, 
you know, where God uses uh, divine media to express himself to this lost world. Because if he came in all of his glory, we would be burnt quicker than tissue paper before a flamethrower. Amen? Because no one could see God and live, and he's a consuming fire. So he uses divine media to get our attention, uh, whether it's the burning bush, whether it's a storm theophany. Several times he comes in the form of a storm like he does to Job in a whirlwind, you know, using divine media. And the most powerful things we could relate to in this world to show his power. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome when you really think about it. But guess what? When he decided to really reveal himself to us, God became what? A man in the incarnation. That's not just a theophany. That's God literally becoming a man and remaining a man. Amen? So when he became a man, it says he emptied himself. Uh, as many translations say, kenosis. The NIV says he made himself nothing. And it doesn't mean literally nothing, but it means he stepped down from heaven. Didn't cease to be God. Before Abraham was, what did he say? I am. Amen. Before Abraham was, I am. And he didn't cease to be God when he declared to be the I am. But this is something interesting. I did a whole study on that about, oh, about two months ago or so. But one of the things I didn't share that was in my notes, kicking myself on the way home. Man, I really wanted to share that verse. It was almost like a climactic type verse. Is I was saying that he didn't cease to be God. Because some people take the kenosis and say he, he ceased to be God. He just became a man. Many liberal theologians, you know. No, he never ceased to be God. Otherwise, he wouldn't be, you know, God. You know, he, what would his name be when he'd be born? Father of eternity, mighty God, amen? Prince of peace, you know, all these wonderful terms of, of deity, but he is the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. But guess what? He said to his apostles, when these things come to pass, because he said he's going to be crucified, he prophesied it. What's going to happen? You will know that I am. And he's going from the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, God over and over again says, he declares the end for the beginning, amen? That they might understand that I am he. That they might understand that I am the, 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 the first and the last and so forth. And Jesus is saying, Guess what? I'm the first and last, Revelation 1.17 and elsewhere. But he's saying before them that when this comes to pass, you'll know that I am. Egoimi. Just like Isaiah, proof that I'm God. And then guess what? When he's arrested and he's fulfilling the prophecy and the soldiers ask him, are you him? What does he say? Do you remember? I am. I am. And you remember what happens when he says I am to the soldiers? They all fall down. Now liberal theologians would think or hope maybe well, one guy stumbled and it's like dominoes. They just all started falling. But that's not what's going on there, okay? What's he doing there? Just like when they touched the hem of his, that lady touched the hem of his garment, amen? There was a release of power. And he, because he didn't use his divine agency in regard to, for selfish reasons. When you go through the Gospels, you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do you see? Over and over again, he's acting on the behalf of serving others, Amen? And he's relying on the Father as a man, but he doesn't cease to be God. But he gives them a glimpse of who he is. Not for his own sake, but for their sake. So he can say, he says, when you, when you see this happen, you're going to know that I am. They're seeing it happen. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to give them a little bit more evidence. Are you him? I am. You know? That's, that's heavy when you think about it, man. That's, to me, that blows me away. It's like, whoa, you're so awesome, God. You just unveiled your glory a little bit, just I am, you know? And so at the same time, though, keep in mind, 
What's he doing? Even though he is, it makes it even more powerful. Even though he's God in the flesh, he's not retaliating. First Peter chapter two at the end. He was reviled, but he didn't revile back. Why? Because he's becoming a servant. He could call 12 legions of angels. Amen? That's a ton of angels. Amen? Remember we talked about before? One angel kills how many Assyrians? 185,000 Assyrians. We just talked about that, huh, Jimmy? 185,000. One angel. He could call 12 legions of angels. He doesn't, right? Why? Because he is there to die for our sins. And then the one thief on the cross says, realizes who he is. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. He's drawn to him. Because what drew him? Because he saw, which is amazing, he didn't just see the power of God. Now he's seeing God, the God-man, hanging on the cross, you know, suspended, knowing he could get off the cross. Didn't have to allow it to happen. That he's orchestrated the whole thing in a way, using their free will to accomplish the, the good news of the gospel. It's just a blow mind. And in doing so, something really blows me away about this is his emptying of himself, and that means his prerogatives, he chooses to lay down. I mean, he could pick it up anytime he wants. He's God. But he decides not to use the authority in the way, for instance, one day Satan will be thrown in a lake of fire. One day we'll all stand before the throne of God and those who know the Lord will be caught up in the air, but will be rewarded. But those who don't will be go right when throw judgment. And, the ex- and there's going to be a huge uh, execution of God's judgment. But right now, he's showing his grace and his mercy for people to be saved. It's an awesome thing to behold. So guess what? They see the light, the guy on the, next to him, the, 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 the soldier. Millions and millions and millions of people have read. I mean, when I first was, you know, came to the Lord, I didn't, I mean, I cried out to God and I opened up my Bible Realizing, man, this book that I mocked, I never really looked at closely. I didn't know if I actually read a page, you know, prior to me thinking I knew what I knew about Christianity and that it was a joke. Then when I went through the gospel, one of the gospels, and I was reading the crucifixion, I just started to weep, you know. And I had already given myself to the Lord the best I knew how at that point. I was a brand new Christian, you know, days old in the Lord. I start reading it, I'm starting to weep, and I'm weeping. I'm like, and it hit me like nothing else ever hit me. I was like, what in the world? Who is this Jesus, you know? And there's, he emptied himself. And because of the cross, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. There's nothing, there's no more powerful symbol. And it's just like God to use just two lines huh, as a symbol. One's vertical because it's a great picture of how his death brought us to him. Amen? That's the main thing. That's the main beam, right? The cross beam it's through his death, too, that we, from all these different backgrounds, the different ethnicities and so forth, are one in Christ. Amen? Amen. It's a beautiful thing to behold, what he's done on the cross. But how does this apply to our lives when we witness? We need to empty ourselves. We need to empty ourselves of self and our own ambitions. We need to lay our own ambitions down. We need to graduate as Christians to a higher degree of love. Agape love. I mean, you know how many Christians will not forego certain rights that they have biblically? Like, it's okay to do a lot of different things biblically, you know, as long as they're not sin, right? But will you forego the right to do something that God permits you to do if somebody else misunderstands you and you're with them and they would, but I don't know, how many, I hear people, I don't care what they think, I'm free to do this. 
God calls us to a higher love. He says if somebody doesn't believe in drinking, don't drink in front of them. For all Christians, he says don't get drunk, amen? amen. One man one esteems one day above another, one man esteems all days alike. If you ask me where I'm at on that verse, which one do I esteem? I'll say I esteem one day alike. I mean one day above another because Sunday's the Lord's day. But then I say, I'll also say, but I esteem all days alike too because I don't think you just take one day out for worship, man. Every day belongs to Jesus. So where do I land? I land on both of those viewpoints. It's my own personal conviction. It's kind of interesting. But it, it talks about one man believes he can't eat meat, another one believes he does. But because you, knew, you, you believe you can eat meat, in that context, Paul says, yeah, you can't eat that meat. He's talking about impure meat. But he says, I won't cause my brother to stumble. I won't cause him to perish, the one for whom Christ died, and eat meat in front of him. What's he saying to do? He's saying that you need to empty yourself and consider other people and consider how your life is affecting them and say, Lord God, help me die to myself. Help me empty myself so I can help reconcile other people to God. Amen. So I give them an opportunity. Jesus emptied himself to reconcile us to God. He died on the cross to reconcile us to God. If he didn't empty himself, he wouldn't have died on the cross. Amen? Amen. He had to do both. And we follow his example. In fact, there's a really great picture of this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because we're supposed to be empty. And it's when we're empty that our light shines. Amen? 2 Corinthians 3. Now, 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about, in 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about being a, being a living letter. We talked about that recently, so I won't go into that. But we're supposed to be living letters read by men, amen? We're supposed to share the gospel with our lives. He talks about in chapter, chapter 3, verse 3, you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but the spirit of the living God, right? Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. And I don't want to expound on that, but I'm tempted to. So let's just go to chapter 4 because it picks up on that idea. Verse 3, even, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of those or the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what's going on here, guys? This gets really heavy. He, people, are lost and blinded the gospel. We're living letters who are supposed to be read of men who are blind. Blind people can't read. Well, they can with Braille and so forth. But I'm talking about the spiritually blind, God bless you, can't see you and read you. There has to be enough light that emits from you that could penetrate the darkness. So look what he says. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants of, for Jesus. Watch this. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. And that goes in that whole tohu wabohu. He's going back to Genesis. Remember it was all dark and God said let there be light and God made the new creation and he's basically saying, and I'm not going to spout on this because we spent some time on this uh, about a year ago, considerable amount of time, is he's basically saying that you're a new creation now and God says let there be light in your darkness. You once were tohu wabohu. You were empty, right? You were formless, you know, void, all that darkness hovered over you until the Holy Spirit came and changed you. Amen. But look at verse 7. So guess what? Guess what? Now keep in mind, we are new creations, 517. You can, don't have to go there, but it's the next chapter. If anyone being Christ is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. Just like the old creation, God started with a black, 
empty canvas and said, this is what you guys are going to look like. This is what I'm going to do. Boom. He does that with creation. Guess what? That's what's going on with you. I've saved you. You once were tohu abohu. Now the light shines in you. You're a new creation. But guess what? Being empty is how people can see that. Empty of ourselves, our self-will, and filled with the will of God. Because he says this. Verse 7. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Okay, who's the treasure and who's the earthen vessel? Come on, guys. Little quiz. We're the earthen vessel. We're the clay pots, right? Who's the treasure? Jesus in us. Amen. We, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from what? Ourselves. Amen. See that? So surpassing greatness would be of God and not ourselves. So when people see us, we want them to see who? Us or him? Him. Not us, him. If a man takes his wife to get a ring, right? And he's going to show her the ring. He doesn't put a little fireworks display around the ring, you know? He doesn't put all these neon lights around the ring, right? Because that would distract from what? The ring. He, create, he puts a black little, the, the jeweler put black velvet or something behind it. So this, 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 whatever it is, will shine and be beautiful. This diamond will sparkle or whatever it is. Okay? It's not about us saying, look how great I am. It's about saying, look how great he is and what he's done in me. And anything that you're seeing now in my transformed life belongs to what he's done. Because he's recreated me in his image. Are you with me? It's a very important truth. Look what Paul goes on to say. We are afflicted in every way. Yeah, we're the, we're the, we're the clay pots, man. We're, we're the earthen vessels. We're made of clay. We're made of dirt. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now Paul is talking about persecution. And some of them are being put to death. Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body. That's the clay pot. That's the earthen vessel. The dying of Jesus, that's the treasure. So that the life of Jesus, that's the treasure, also may be what? Manifest in our body. So when we go through persecution and we bear it joyfully, putting our trust in God and not whining and mourning and complaining constantly, but we say, well, it doesn't mean you're not going through hard times. It doesn't mean you can't have tears. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, but it means you put your trust in him. So that life of Jesus may be what? Manifested in our body. So we're persecuted Brothers and sisters, please, this is part of the theology of suffering. You have, to, you have to be renewed in your mind regarding what the Lord says about the suffering and that you have to know that when we go through hard times, you don't say, Lord, how could you let me go through this? Peter says in 1 Peter, if any of you suffers according to the will of God, just do a word search, go to a concordance and look up the word suffer and go through the New Testament and see how many times it talks about suffering from the Lord. Almost most of the times, by far and away, regarding suffering, has to do with suffering for his glory. That's part of the Christian life. It's what the apostles went through as well. Amen? So don't, don't freak out. Arm yourselves with the same purpose, to suffer. That's what he said in 1 Peter 4. But in so doing, it's not in vain. Just as Jesus' death for your sins was redemptive, amen? When you die, it's not redemptive in the sense of dying for people's sins, but it's redemptive in this sense. It points them to the Redeemer. Points them to the one who did give himself for them. 
Look at this again. What happens when we're broken? These clay pots are broken, current about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body, so his light might shine. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. And they were. So that the life of Jesus. So why is that happening? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's a blow mind. Look at what he's saying there. It's saying the reason that God's allowing them to be persecuted is so people can see Jesus more. Are you getting your head around this? So when God allows persecution in the United States of America and Christians are being put in prison and they're being put to death, remember, that's part of the deal. We don't win until the end, but we've already won in Jesus, really. Amen? Amen. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Now this is, it's so heavy, man. It's, it's just, to me, it's, it's so heavy. Remember, remember Gideon? Gideon's a trip, man. I mean, he was raised as, you know, God raised him up as a, as a deliverer from the Midianites and the Amalekites. And they were occupying the land and they were very, very wicked people persecuting uh, God's people. And it's interesting because they had about 145,000 people. And Gideon didn't know anything about warfare. And God just calls him a mighty man of God. Get ready. It's like, what? Me? Why would God pick Gideon? He was not, wasn't a... A warrior, because he uses clay pots, because he wants the glory. He doesn't want us to sound all the fireworks and say, look at me. He wants to say, look who I picked to do my work. And uh, Gideon's army wasn't big enough to defeat them in the natural. Gideon was not a, gonna, you know, was not like a general or anything. And God says, hey, he reduces his army down to 32,000 people. Remember that? 32,000 people. And then you know what? Because uh, he didn't want them to get the glory, guys. And then he says to them, he tells Gideon, tell them, whoever is fearful, afraid to go to this battle, you could go home. Gideon's like, can you imagine? Wait a minute, I got only 32,000 and then 10,000 say, oh, okay, they go home, you know? Okay, I'm, I'm going home. So now you're down to 22,000. Man, ouch, Gideon, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You can go home, I'm sorry, wrong wasn't 10,000 that left. It's 22,000 that left. Now there's 10,000 left. It's only 10,000. And now he's got to go to war against about 140,000 people with 10,000. I mean, what's that sound like? You know? Then God has him take him to a river to drink water. Remember that? And he says, have them all drink. So they're going to hydrate, right? Get ready for the war. They're going to go against 145,000. Man, these 10,000, they need to be hydrated, you think. Then God has Gideon observe how they drink their water. You remember that? And some bow down and they slurp it up. And I've heard all kinds of reasons, you know. For me, it's really hard to know what's going on here exactly. And maybe there's a really great answer. I've heard some really good answers through the years, but I've... It's hard to, you don't got a cross, you don't have a cross reference that says this is why they did that. So it's a lot of it's conjecture, right? One idea is that the ones that were bowing down, slurping, they were like Baal worshipers the way they looked. Like, no, that's so weak. Not, that's not their intent. It's not like they're Baal worshipers. That's a very popular, uh, in the, you know, I've heard that over and over again. Oh, it's like, because they, they look like Baal worshipers. No, you know, others say, oh, it's because, the, but others, there were, there were 300 guys that didn't drink like that. They got water in their hands. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really, really thirsty from hiking. There's a river going by and I get to drink. I'm, I wish I could just say I'd be, because I'm not going to get picked for this. I'm going to stick my head in that water and just go, <sighs> just drink and drink and drink. Thank you, Jesus. You know, that's just me. I can see myself doing that. My little beard dripping, you know, all over me, you know. And uh, poor Tommy. Where's Tommy at? Tommy's upstairs. He suffered for Jesus, man. They went for three weeks to Costa Rica. The first two weeks was street witnessing, going everywhere and stuff, and preaching at churches and stuff. And Tommy gave his testimony. Then the last week was like in the depths of the jungle. That was uh, Tommy, Nico, and Josiah. And Tommy, man, he gets back and he's parched. He's like so thirsty. I would do the same thing. And he sees this like water spigot and everything. He's like probably praising God. What was that, Nico? You were there. That he was. Don't quit laughing. Just what he's sucking. I'm <laughs> just teasing. Bunch of rain barrels. And what was in there? Liquid manure. Poor guy. You know. And you don't think people suffer for the gospel today? Okay. I don't know if he got drank it or he stuck his head in it. I think he stuck his head in there, right? Oh, he drank it all. And it's like, oh, huh? Poured all over his head. Okay. That's what it, and, and I would, I say that because that's something I would do. Oh man, some water. And he goes, but it was all like slime. He's like, what's going on here, man? Poor Tommy. He's got such a heart of gold. And uh, he's doing some work with us now. It's awesome. But uh, I would be that guy. If I was there, I might even beat Tommy there, man. He's younger. He beat me to it. And I'd like observe. <laughs> like, oh, never mind. No. But uh, I would stick my head. And, but some people say, well, it's because those who are drinking with their hands, because these are the guys God's going to pick. It's because they were more alert. They're looking around. I don't buy it. That's a popular interpretation. I don't buy it. You know why? Because God cuts the army down from 10,000 to 300 people. 300 to go against 145,000? Why is God cutting the army so far down? Come on. Because he wants to get the glory, not the clay pots, right? He wants to get the glory. So if you have 300 incredible mighty warriors, and God gets glory out of those guys too. Look at David's mighty men, just a different way. But the context of this story, right? And David's mighty men, by the way, were a mishmash of, of people, you know, like the apostles that Jesus picked. Pretty crazy how God works. He used the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Not many noble and so forth, it says. That's just how he works. Amen? You know, he uses a person like you. He uses a guy like me. Just whoever he wants to use, you know. Uh, and it's a trip because, because I don't think he's trying to find those who are like super alert. It doesn't say they were alert looking around. It just says they drank with their hand. I think if you drink with your hand, you just tend to be more of a mellow person. You know, that's just, you know, you're like maybe more, you know, not, I mean, you're maybe not a big fisherman like Peter. Maybe you're like a an accountant or something, you know, and you're just watching and you don't want to get your hair dirty and, or whatever. I don't know what was going on. You don't want to get your beard wet. You know, you're just going like that. And he wants guys, so you look at the army, it's like, those guys are going. I think that's what was happening. I could be wrong. It's all conjecture because we don't know exactly why. That's just an opinion. We don't go by opinions. We go by the word of God. But we think these things through though. Why, right? It's good to think things through. But I think that's what was going on there. So he takes those 300. And guess what he does? He tells them at the depths of the night, they circle the Midianites and the Amalekites. And you know, when they circled them, he said, take these clay pots. Remember that? And the clay pots were what? 
empty. Empty. We're supposed to be empty of ourselves. Amen? And if they take these clay pots, and he wants them empty, empty of liquid, because that's usually what you put in the pot, especially if you're going to war, you know? It's not like a canteen. Nope, empty. And then he says, light torches, right? But put the torches where? In the clay pots. What's going on there? Torches in the clay pot. What kind of idea is this? First of all, we got 300 men, you know? By the way, these men are, are brave though, right? They're going with 300 guys looking around like, What's, God's got to do it. Got to put, and there's this plan. And Gideon has never done this before. And this is what our new general is saying. And this guy is saying he's hearing from God. Surround them with these pots. Three things they're supposed to use. Torch, a pot. Remember what else? One more thing. A trumpet, right? And then at the signal, blow your trumpets. Now, that's a lot of trumpets, though. That's 300 trumpets. It's a lot of trumpets, a lot of noise. When you're surrounded by, I mean, I know what it is to be blasted with a trumpet when you're not expecting it. Somebody came, my next door neighbor at another house that I used to live at a few years ago, I was sitting in the living room, just sitting there, probably talking to Lisa or something. And the guy next door and his kids, they had a couple trumpets, I think. And they just did a Christmas carol. It was like, it sounded like a train literally was coming through my, it was like, I didn't know trumpets sounded loud. I was like, whoa, man. And I'm like, they hit the next note, the next note. And I'm like, okay, I'll go to the door now, right? 300 trumpets. Come on, guys. Echoing, because they're like on the mountain range. Just, and guess what they're supposed to do? Take those pots and break them. Now, what's going to happen when those pots are broken? There's going to be what? Flashes of light, right? Just, and you're going to hear the trumpets. They're going to wake up. Everybody's waking up from their slumber. You know, most of the people that are sleeping. And what they're seeing? They're seeing, they're surrounded. And they're perhaps thinking that each, each, Torch represents a platoon or whatever, you know, a unit of some sort, and they freak out. There's just total confusion, and they begin to kill each other because you got, you got a couple different people groups there mixed in, and they're starting to kill each other. And it's a picture of the day of the Lord because in, in Revelation, in Zechariah chapter 14, in the end times, the Lord Jesus Christ returns with a great flash of light, like lightning shining from the east to the west, right? And a trumpet, right? And what has to happen in Zechariah 14, it says that the nations will attack each other. That's going to probably be with serious bombs. That's when people will stand on their feet, but their eyes and their tongues will melt while they're, they'll be consumed while they're standing up. That couldn't happen back then. That's pretty heavy when you think about it. So it's a picture of the day of the Lord. Amen? But there's something really hap- he- heavy help happening there. What is that? Think about it. It's the clay pots. When the clay pots are broken, what's seen? The treasure within the light. Amen? You get it? And that's where the victory was. God calls us to reduce ourselves to the point where we trust in him. So don't see this mighty army of men looking at like, look at how many, wow. No, they don't, you don't need a lot of people to be effective, man. You just die to self, you empty yourself, and you let the light of Christ be seen, amen? And you let that happen in your own life. You die to yourself. You don't become self-centered. You don't make life all about you. You make it about him. You recognize you're a clay pot. And you recognize that when you go through really, really hard times and hard trials, that's when the light of Christ shines the most. Amen? And that's when you give an answer for the hope that's in you by your lifestyle, by emptying yourself. Are you still with me? 
Okay, so that's, it's very, very important that we understand this principle of self-emptying and following Christ and his example. Man, I need to just go through the next few really, really quick. He rose from the dead. Okay, how do you apply that? You show them that you're a new creation too, amen? You point to Jesus. He rose from the dead, but guess what? He's given me new life. I'm a new creation in Christ. Number six, he ascended to heaven, amen? He's at the right hand of God. You point out that guess what? He is in heaven, and guess what? My name is written in heaven. Your name can be written in heaven. You share with them the hope of heaven, that they can have eternal life. And number seven, 1 Peter 3.22b, that was 3.22a, 3.22b, is that it says he's ahead of all these, he's ahead of all authority. He's ahead of all the principalities. Jesus, he not only ascended, but in 1 Peter 3.22, that he is basically, you know, and I'll just read the verse to you, 1 Peter 3.22, it says, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers had been, made, had been subjected to him. So he's the highest, but he's also head of every principality and power, every demonic entity. Do you know why the gospel spread and hundreds of millions of people have, you know, eventually been converted? Not everyone in this way, but it continued to spread through foreign lands with pagan gods because these people freaked out. They feared all these pagan gods. But guess what happened? Guess what happened, man? People started seeing there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. They'd have to fear all these pagan gods. They'd be set free from them. And you know what it says? Well, go there quickly. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I think this is just an awesome passage. And when you get to Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 3. Because he is in heaven over all authority and over all power, we just read, right? Look at you. Who are you? Verse 3. Blessed, is, is the, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the what? Heavenly places in Christ. Wait a minute, man. You are blessed in heavenly places with Jesus too. So it applies to your life when you point to his resurrection and his ascension and the fact that he has all power over demons. But because he has power over the demons, guess what? You have power over the demons. We're in heavenly places. I mean, go down a few verses. Go to verse 20, the same chapter. Ephesians 1, 20. Look what it says. Which he brought about... In Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him, when? Where? At his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Guess what? The context there is that you reign with him over the principalities and powers. You have power over demons. I have so many, I was talking with a couple of brothers and recently and sisters and stuff. And uh, we were talking, and we were talking about encounters we've had as Christians with the demonic. And I've seen the power of God. I've seen in my own testimony, crying out to the Lord and seeing him just stop what I was going through and deliver me. But I remember, you know, I've, there's several of them. We spent an hour talking about, we kind of get the EBGBs, but he's like, praise the Lord, we got Jesus, you know, because they're real, these entities. And a uh, brother that used to be a worship leader here when the church had just started, uh, and I'd been a pastor maybe a year at that time or so, I mean, it was probably a few years by that time, and uh, he had a sister in San Fernando Valley, and he said she's possessed. Older sister, probably around 30 or so, and she opened herself up to demons. She's into the occult. She's got all kinds of books in her room on the occult. Can you come cast this demon out of her? I'm like, what? I go, I'll go over there. I'm a young pastor. I'm like, and we're prayed up and seeking the Lord and so forth. I'm like, just, you know, don't push yourself in the apartment. He knocks. We go in. She won't come out of her room. And she's, her room is filled with occult books. I found that out later and I heard that because we went out there and did some cleaning after. She wouldn't come out of her room. 
Now I'm visiting there, man. I'm just like, Lord, Lord, man, I'm a young pastor, but I know we got power over demons. I don't know what's going to happen. And they kept knocking. I'm like, now I'm feeling like I'm being invasive, you know? She comes out of her door, opens the door. She goes right by them, running, goes straight to me. I'm at the front door. She comes to me. She says my name like she knows me and everything and starts saying weird stuff, honestly. And I'm like, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Boom, she falls on the ground just like this, you know? No kidding, man. Uh, and we went and took her to the couch and we prayed over her and, and just continued to pray and told the demon to leave. It didn't manifest after that first initial thing. And she was, just, she was definitely strange. I don't know what was going on. And then she got, she was normal. Then the next day they told me she's in her right mind and everything. She's good now. I was praising God. We, you, as a Christian, you have power over the evil one. You just need to make sure you're prayed up and you're seeking Jesus and he's first in your life. Amen. All right, the next few really uh, quickly. He's coming again, amen. Revelation, that's another part of our hope in, in 1 Peter. Uh, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the apocalypse as he will reveal himself. He is coming back again. And it's important that we point people to his coming. And guess what? You show the hope of Christ coming again, not only by sharing the fact and the reality that he's coming again. You better get right. You better get right. This world is not going to stay the same. Christ is coming back. You share that, but you also show that in your life, that you believe that. The Bible says, he that has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. So people ought to be seeing that you are living for his return, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of his. And what does it talk about in the scripture? That we live holy lives and are sober-minded. It says in that passage there in Titus, which is our, the verse we got the name of our church from, uh, because we have this blessed hope. In 1 John 3, 3, that has this hope in him, purifies himself as he is pure. So they ought to be seeing that your life is circumspect and that you're living a pure life and you're becoming more like Christ because you anticipate that he's coming and you're gonna be with him forever, amen? That's eight. Just a few more quickly. Nine, we're secure, kept secure by his power. 1 Peter 1, 5, we're kept by the power of God through faith, amen? And we have security in Christ. The world doesn't have security, Amen? I mean, what are all these commercials about? Security, insurance, you know. And now, right now, there's more fear in the world than I've seen in probably in my lifetime. People are just paranoid. They're freaked out. A lot of people will not leave their homes to this day. I mean, been a lot of suicides and everything else. And Christians, guess what? Yeah, we, we're, we try to be wise. You need to love your neighbors yourself and be careful with things that are going around and so forth, obviously. But guess what? We also... I notice it's the Christians that are the ones that aren't freaking out. It's the non-Christians that are freaking out because all they have is this world. And they're clutching to it. And they're trying to build a utopia here, right? But we can let people know when they see our faith that the Bible says we're kept by the power of God through faith, right? That we are secure in him. And let them see that we have a peace that passes human understanding because whether we live or die, we're at peace because we have Christ, amen? That's important. Number 10, he guards us, 2 Peter 2.25. For you were continually strained like, strained like sheep, but you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And that kind of ties into the last one, that he's, he's the good shepherd, amen? People don't have a good, the good shepherd. We have the good shepherd, amen? He, and in the midst of chaos, he prepares the table, our table for us in the presence of our enemies. Though we go through the valley of shadow of death, he's what? With us. So we let them know that we follow the good shepherd and he gives us, he leads us to green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters, amen? So people see that we have a relationship with a God who is good. He's the good shepherd, amen? 
So it's all very, very vital, very important. He gives us joy and victory in trials. That's from 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. That's part of our hope. We rejoice. So let them see your joy. Amen. Don't hide it under a bushel. Let them see that, that you have the joy of the Lord. And I wanted, I wanted to camp out on that. I can't. Number 12, last one. Uh, he'll welcome us into his kingdom with open arms. 1 Peter 1, 7, B. That we may be found in, to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That there's going to be glory and honor at his return. You are going to just... Uh, have a well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. And what you do is you let them know, hey, I'm finishing my race. I'm heaven bound. I'm going to be with the Lord forever. I'm going to be graduating. I'd like you to come to my graduation. You ever invite somebody to like a graduation or something? Invite me to graduation, but say, but I want you to graduate too. I want you to be there and let them know. He that's not with me is against me, Jesus said. Amen. I was ministering. Actually, we were ministering together, a few of us. I, mean, I met with another pastor today and, uh, a brother from his fellowship, they called me up. I met him for the first time. Another pastor didn't see me. And uh, Chad came. Uh, they were talking about Revivus, and they're going to do something like that, you know. And they're asking for advice, and they wanted to know from me. And I'm like, you know, I didn't, I was just part of the Revivus thing. I didn't put it all together. So I brought Chad and uh, talked for a bit, and then had Chad kind of talk. And Chad was giving his testimony. And he, he talked about how he got saved. And he said he watched our video, They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. And he said he fell on his knees at the end of that video. He said, when I heard Joe say, quote Jesus, he that's not with me is against me. You know, he that gathers with me, he that does not gather with me scatters abroad. And to not make a choice is a choice. He is to make a choice. He said he fell on his knees and turned to Jesus. And because everything was put on the line, he realized, I'm either follow Jesus or not. And that's what you do when you witness to people. You let them know they have a choice, but you let them know that if they're not for him, they're against him. And they're either going to receive praise and glory and honor at his return and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or they're going to hear, depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. You got to lay it out for people, amen? You got to let them know that Jesus is coming back to judge the quick and the dead, amen? And you want to make sure you're right with him and that you know him, Amen? So, I mean, we, we could spend so much time. These are, it's so rich, that book. So we covered a lot of ground. But I want to just encourage you that live the Christian life. That's the best way to give answers to the people that ask about the hope that's in you is first live it, amen? And then if you're living it, then it will be so easy to speak it because you'll just speak out of what you're going through and who you are in Christ, amen? Praise God. Let's bow our hearts before the Father.